And welcome to episode 21 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I am doing awesome. Well, we are the Brood Sages, and as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages at Twitter. Or for all of you who used to think ripped jeans were cool, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. So guys, this week we've got some fun stuff going on. The tournament, uh, Hanu's tournament with over 50 original participants is still going on. Arthas, you've made the semis. Who else is in it? Uh, the other the other four people that are uh, remaining for the quarterfinals brackets is uh, Grim. The mm-hmm. previous the conquest tournament champion uh, versus the singularity, and then we also have Suarat versus Wolf. And uh, Suarat was actually a uh, second place in the reckless attack and defend tournament. Ooh, yeah, Wolf being third place. So those are that's a tight match there. Yeah, there's still a lot of talent left in this tournament. Holy smokes! Uh, is it due to be finalized over the next week? I assume. Mm, probably <laughs> hopefully <laughs> it should be <laughs> All right, well, listeners you'll find out next week then who the champion is next up we actually have the first ever temple of heart lethal now okay so let me talk about this one because i have <laughs> this is my this is my pride and joy right now okay so <laughs> as soon as temple of heart was released um someone in the discord uh, player 9316, I think, yeah. Um, he said, all right, I'm waiting for the first pure Temple of Heart lethal. And I was like, oh, what kind of lethal? Like a Hearthguard's lethal? Or like it drains the enemy base so that your units walk in and kills him? And he's like, no, it has to be a pure lethal because of Hearth. And uh, the only huh? the only way you can actually do that is with a level 4 plus Temple of Heart. Because um, the ability is at 2. So for you to win the game, the enemy HP needs to be exactly 2. And your oh, HP no. needs to be exactly 1. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Any divergence from that just uh, kills the run. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know what? I am determined to take on this challenge. And uh, I built like this, this swarm control deck with Temple of Heart. And it was... <laughs> I really want to talk as much as I can because it's really, really cool. It was so interesting. Like, I got all the self-harm cards, right? We got Restless Goats. We got Broken Truce just to manipulate my own HP. And then I got a bunch of runners like uh, uh, Vindicator, Saber, right? Oh, yeah. Restless Goats as well. Also to deal damage to them. And it's really interesting because um, during the the three days that I've been attempting this, the challenge straight because of the serious struggle and pain... We're trying to achieve something almost virtually impossible. And by the way, this is this is through like ranked. Like I'm queuing into randoms. Okay, it's not like um, I'm having someone stream snipe me so I can get the lethal with them. No, I I, I actually uh, avoided things like that. Oh man, what was it? I think it was it was yesterday. Oh my gosh, yesterday from the recording. So it was Friday last week. Um, I finally did it, and uh, the the people who were witnessing my stream. Heard my amazing victory cries <laughs> from finally <laughs> completing it and finally, like, you know, free from the struggle and pain. If you're going to ballpark it, how many games do you think it took you? How many games? I just know that I had like 11 close calls and then I, <laughs> I think total games is like 30 or 40 games of pain. <laughs> Imagine playing 30 or 40 games, finally setting it up. You play the Temple of Heart. You're like, oh my god, if he can't kill the Wait, temple. even more than that. I just know it was three days straight of me streaming like 10 hours a day. So you finally get there. You're like, <laughs> if he can't kill the tempo, I've totally cleared off all of his units. It's an empty board. I'm going to play temple. If he can't clear it, we win. And then he concedes. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. No, Things like that. Or like there were times where I even set it up. So that they could kill me with my own heart. Like they could simply end the turn and they win. But no, they, they screw it up. They kill my temple of heart or they, they do something else to kill me. And I'm like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't be bothered to figure out how this card works. So I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> this is but yeah. too, too complicated for me. <laughs> Finally, I pulled it off and I did, I did post the clip in the Discord in the Fluff channel. So it's actually there if you want to see it. 
happened. And uh, man, that was a beautiful moment in history. I'm pretty sure that is the world's first ever recorded pure lethal. So I'm very it proud. Maybe only. <laughs> maybe the only. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations on that. And I look forward to seeing the video. Subaiku, uh, it's the middle of the month. And that means it's time for a little special something we give. I want to know the frequency of what will be facing me. I don't want to waste my time. want to take that sin it's prime. You will never have to guess. Our report is pure BS. BS Meta Report. The BS Meta Report. It's time for the BS Meta Report. A whole bunch of it. <laughs> so what did we find out this month? What's going on? T- talk me through it. Unsurprisingly, the most played faction this month that we see is Ironclad. It's been that way for quite some time. Uh, Swarm has been keeping pace with it for the most part uh, over the last few months. But it looks like this time Ironclad wins out. Uh, we're, we're seeing really almost close to 50% of the decks are going to be ironclad that you encounter on the ladder. Um, that That's just a, a crazy amount of dominance from one faction. Uh, the numbers for Swarm are down. Uh, the numbers for Swarm Rush are down. The numbers for Swarm Midrange are also down. It looks huh. like people have maybe stopped experimenting quite as much with Zuri. Um I would assume because the deck just feels feels strong, but feels like it can't, but feels like it can't beat the ironclad mid range at its own game a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, that seems about right. And we're seeing pretty consistent numbers for Shadowfen and Winterpack, definitely in the minority. A little bit down on the Shadowfen this month compared to last month, maybe because there was a little more swarm last month. People were trying to counter cue into that with the shadow fen but really it looks like the ironclad rise has come uh pretty significantly at the expense of shadow fen and swarm okay and uh so with that arthas um there seems to be a little bit of uh a, a walk away from rush across all factions all the faction mm-hmm. rush uh contingents seem to be shrinking. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so what we see from the meta report is that for factions other than Swarm, um, Rush is the least common archetype for their factions. Swarm Rush actually being the most common for Swarm, not surprisingly. But um, yeah, I mean, what this shows is that the the kind of like power and popularity of Swarm, or of, not Swarm, of Rush, you know, it, it is really going down with all of these uh, powerful control cards that are getting buffed especially with the reigning dominance of uh a two mana hunter's vengeance that totally just shuts down dreams of people mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. it's like it's it's just way too reliable for two mana and uh, rush players definitely hate it <laughs> i definitely see it in my nightmares yeah as, <laughs> as much as i love destroying rush um I, it's way too strong it actually really needs a nerf and uh, we don't want to kill rush from the game okay because it's important to have all the archetypes. But yeah, like people are more trying, you know, more towards mid-range and control. Uh, Winter's still valuing control a lot. Shadowfen's kind of 50-50 between the mid-range and control. But, you know, Ironclad, definitely mid-range out there. Getting those big buffy boys, right? So that's what we're seeing this month. Yeah, so so it's interesting that we bring that up. I, I think it might be worth having a conversation specifically about Hunter's Vengeance in a minute about the state of the meta. Uh, but before we do, I want to swing us over to the power rankings. Uh, Sabaiku, uh, what's strong right now? We see two decks in Tier 1 this month. We have Ironclad Midrange, um, far and away the top-rated, most powerful deck. How unusual. Not really a surprise. It's been that way for months. We see Shadowfin Control moving up into Tier 1 also. Probably, I suspect, as a counter, um, as a deck that you can reasonably play into an Ironclad midrange matchup. You get your Siege Breakers as a tech in there for the structures, and you you can keep up with what the Ironclad player is doing. 
Uh, and those are the only two decks we see in tier one. And we have a group of almost everything else in tier two, uh, very close in the power rankings. We have winter pack control uh, a hair above. We have swarm mid range a hair below. And then down in tier three, we see winter pack mid range, swarm control, and winter packed brush. So it's it's weird that you mention it. My my experience has been in agreement with what you said, but it's odd. Uh, Mid-range, generally speaking, is supposed to be favored into control decks, and Rush is supposed to be favored into mid-range. So so on paper, if you didn't know the cards in a, in a game or whatever, and you heard that the number one most played deck is a mid-range deck, right? Ironclad mid-range, by far and away, the most commonly played uh, archetype in the game. You'd expect the next one... The, you know, the second most powerful deck then in the meta should be the counter, which should be a rush deck. But in this case, Arthas, it's a control deck. Talk us through what, what's going on here. Why is Shadowfin Control able to hang with Ironclad Midrange? And, and more importantly, what's going on with poor rush decks that none of them can go toe-to-toe with a midrange deck? Right. So firstly, with Shadowfin Control, uh, everyone knows the absurd oppressiveness that uh, a max level nuts can do, right? And, uh, you know, it being epic, we don't see it that often. I don't know. It may be different for people. I see it often, definitely in the higher leagues, which I hate. But, um, I mean, nuts is, nuts is very capable of carrying an entire game by playing on just the bottom half of the board. Just with how easy it is to, like, um, you know, trigger the nuts and, like, pressure the enemy with such a big unit, making them waste their resources just to kill it. Just so you can allocate your privileged mana resources to other things like aggression, it's a, uh, it makes it so that it can potentially like really pressure ironclad midrange before it can actually um set up for the big buffs, and mm. um when it does get that pressure, yeah they take they they get some good base damage right with like lime limbs or butchers, and then you know eventually ironclad midrange would normally try to take control of the board now, but because of how reliable nuts is. It's not uncommon to see nuts sealing games after early pressure against midrange. Now, as for the lack of rush in the archetype power list, I think that that's because, like, I know you said with you know the whole rock paper scissors concept that rush has the best matchup against midrange. Now, unfortunately for rush, ironclad midrange has some very powerful cheap control cards in them. I mean, you have things like um, green destructo linked. Having mm. some serious, uh, serious value. Not to mention the incredible three mana Green Gale Serpents, which is way better than Westwind at, at max level. And that can just clear like things like Doppel or Baseline Clear. It's like so amazing. And you know, sometimes they also run like Windmakers too. That those are kind of things that you can like easily put into like an Ironclad mid-range deck. And then they're so powerful in terms of controlling the board because Ironclad Midrange really doesn't need that much. Just four tonic, uh, upgrade point, unstable. You don't even need Mia, but you could if you want to be hardcore, right? And uh, then you can you can then invest the rest of your card slots on like control cards such as the ones I mentioned. So that makes it really hard for Rush, and especially with how powerful Hunter's Vengeance is. You know, with Ironclad Midrange usually buffing constructs, it's actually beneficial for Ironclad Midrange to run Hunter's Vengeance because it hardly hurts them. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Arthas. It's so easy for Ironclad to have the tech against Rush deck. They can really shore up that defense without hurting their offense, without hurting their value generation. So they're still really viable in a control matchup, but also can defend themselves in a way that, say, a Swarm mid-range deck playing Zuri or Bucks uh, with a lack of movement can't really do. The cards that you talked about are the exact two that came to mind to me, Green Gale and Windmakers. You can slot those in there, and they both move too. And Swarm just doesn't have that kind of defensive tool in the same way that uh, that allows it to to be as flexible. Yeah, but neither does Shadowfen midrange either. You see both of them. Shadowfen I mean, Shadow absolutely has, has great to- defensive tools with Witches, Crimson Sentry, Toxic Sacrifice, can mm-hmm. run Hunter's Vengeance also. But but look at the difference in power level, right, between the two. And and, and the reason for that is Fort Tonic, I think. I, I agree. It's because generally it takes a Shadowfen midrange deck a little More longer so. to ramp up 
the ironclad can put something big on the board earlier and that just makes it more consistent now you have to remember what we're talking about with power rankings here this is perceived power rankings from the expert volunteers that we have enlisted to do the meta report here they're saying that they see ironclad mid-range as the most powerful deck and i think the biggest reason why is because they see the same cards in the same progression over and over again. It's a very consistent deck. It doesn't take a lot of setup, and it doesn't take a lot of reactive play. You do what you do, and your opponent does what they can to stop it. You don't have to be as adaptive or as flexible in your game plan as your opponent does. Yeah, I think that's very true. There's there's a couple of things that come to mind with that. Part of the reason why Shadowfen Control, I think, is as effective into Ironclad mid-range as it is, and other control decks aren't, is, um, to Arthas's point, max level chestnuts, yes, uh, but also Toxic Sacrifice. Uh, it's really hard to counter Fort Tonic with any AoE in the game. The only one that comes to mind that is of similar uh, mana cost and damage for the mana cost is Toxac. You know, and, and, and to what we were talking about before, because so much of the Ironclad mid-range deck is Constructs, Hunter's Vengeance is a easy tech card to put in. It does so much more against your opponent that, than it will do to yourself. When you combine that with an unstable, Hunter's Vengeance doesn't impact it. It makes it very easy to play like unstable Fort Tonic one turn. And then the following turn, if you do have to play defense, you can throw two mana into it without really suffering any sort of penalty uh shadowfen control is one of the few control decks that can for the mana go toe to toe with that when i think about winter pack mid control winter pack control needs some mana acceleration to be able to keep pace and thankfully it has that in its deck but it's much harder to to find the right turns to do that and and i think the difference in consistency is why you see Shadowfen Control being rated so much higher. It's easier to fit in a two-mana play whenever you have it, whether it be Hunter's Vengeance or Toxac or both, than it is for Winter uh, Control to find that you know, Gift of the Wise turn. And I, I could be wrong on that, Arthas. I, I don't know what you think. Well, I want to add to how easy it is, like you said, about the Fourth Tonic. Um, let's go back to like the Rush matchup, right? Because mm-hmm, Rush mm-hmm. should be the best chance against mid-range. For sure. Um, you, know, you know, on paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with Ironclad midrange running a lot of cheap control cards um, and then Rush with the tendency of ignoring the Ironclad units, right, as they're trying to bypass the, the board, keep their strength healthy so that hopefully they can overwhelm the Ironclad uh, player. Now, unfortunately, that actually kind of works in the favor for Ironclad because uh, while Ironclad is busy clearing, and leaving like one strength, two strength, maybe even full strength units on the board, um, and and rushes, um, you know, like ignoring those, and then those units are walking up towards the the rush player's base, literally like at, at the mid game, ironclad could just slap in four mana, unstable, four tonic. There's their pressure, and then they just don't have to care anymore. It's just defend, and they win. Right, four mana and two cards that. Leaves you with the rest of your mana and two more cards in your hand to defend. Like you, you put an incredible pressure turn on your opponent, but you're playing defense at the same time. You don't have to choose. It's it's true. And just as a little background, uh, I, I talked with uh, Reckless in the uh, official Discord earlier this month, and I asked him what he thought the meta was doing and how he thought it was. And he thought he said overall he thinks it's very healthy. Uh, he didn't think there was any deck that was so oppressive in terms of its power level, that it was problematic. But he thought Rush in general was just in a bad spot. Hunter's Vengeance being able to clear as much as it can clear for two mana, and and people being able to build decks the way they can build decks right now that are very single race specific, whether it be a dragon deck or a construct deck or a toad deck or a satyr deck, um, it's very easy to build your deck in a way where there's not a lot of downside to Hunter's Vengeance. And I think that's why mid-range currently, I Arthas, stop me if you think I'm wrong, Sabaiku, same. I feel like right now, in general, a mid-range deck with Hunter's Vengeance in it is not actually all that unfavored into any rush matchup. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that because, uh, you know, one of the mid-range decks that I'm proud of building is uh, my original Chunk Beam deck. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's it's a mid-range deck, okay? Because you've got a lot of, like, the dragons, and they're not very good at control. Things like Sunbeam. <laughs> Just simply slapping in Hunter's Vengeance. It's like, okay, like, you're, the rush is supposed to beat me, but they don't have a chance. Uh, my dragons don't really get harmed. And if I'm playing against a control deck, my dragons don't get harmed by Hunter's Vengeance. <laughs> I can harm their units. <laughs> and I think uh, to go back to the point that you made, Freeloader, all of these mid-range decks are capable of being built around a specific uh, race of card, but not rush decks. Because when you're making a rush deck, you have to take the best available cheap cards. And you know, right. the meta has kind of standardized around green prototypes, gifted recruits, wild saber paws, right? All all three different races. West Wind Sailors, First Mutineers, right? We're, 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 we're playing with a lot of different races. And that makes it just an inherent weakness in the rush deck when you take the best available cards, regardless of what race that they're from, then Hunter's Vengeance is really a hard counter. I also want to add that you actually, it's not a requirement at all whatsoever. It's not even a like a medium requirement that your deck needs to be like one unit type for you to, you know, properly put Hunter's Vengeance in. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example is if you're running control, you don't need frontline. You just want to get rid of theirs. Even if you're running multiple units like the rush players because you have cheap cards mm-hmm. to clear the board, it's fine because you're running your units into theirs. Your units, no, in most states of the game, as a control player, you have less units on the board than the other two uh, basic archetypes. And so even if it hurts your units, you're getting a very easy profit because you're hurting more of theirs than you're hurting yours. Absolutely. So you don't really need the single unit types. And now, you know, from this, with all this unit type talk, I want to spark this uh, question. You know, with Hunter's Vengeance you know, being a severe counter to multiple unit types in the meta, and um, people seeing things like Toads, maybe Satyrs, maybe Constructs, decks, and Hunter's Vengeance doesn't do that well. But why don't people play something like Beast of Terror? That one is a, the that one's the go-to counter to single unit decks. It's nowhere near enough damage, and that's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. What What does Beast of Terrors do at max? What was three damage to it's four to damage? Four. <laughs> All right, that's Max two level less. Hunter's Vengeance is six, yeah. Right, it's, it's a world two of less. And it it's costs an twice as much. Well, so is Hunter Vengeance. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not like it's a cheaper card. Right, right. Yeah, right? that's fair. You know, what we're talking about here is the fact that Hunter's Vengeance is so powerful that you can slot it into a mid-range deck and you can build your mid-range deck in such a way that it's not as much of a negative. But it's also, to to your point about the mana cost, it's two mana. It's not a big deal, right? It is it is a lot harder to work a four mana tech card into your turn because you really got to make sure you have it in the right spot. And Beast of Terror does not do the damage to the unit it attacks. The extra Correct. damage is to all other unit types of the same race as the unit that it attacks. But the unit that it attacks doesn't take any extra damage. It just takes the six from the max level Beast of Terror. Yeah, there there are definitely times. Mine's only four strength. Uh, and there are definitely times where I'm like, oh, I'd like to play it. And I could clear all the toads or whatever. But then I realize, well, actually, I don't clear all the toads because the one I'm attacking into won't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Helio Troopers is too big, man. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice tech card. But the problem, I think, is it doesn't do enough damage to counteract something like a Fort Tonic turn or a Zuri buff turn. And it doesn't work as well against rush decks because like we just talked about the rush decks are liable to play a lot of different races for their units so it's a tech card against rush but it doesn't really have a lot of utility against rush and against mid-range it's just not strong enough i want to add that another really big advantage hunter's vengeance has over beast is that beast requires frontline beast requires access to the unit type you want to attack hunters nah just throw it in. Massive damage. It's crazy. Well, well right. That's the thing. If you, if, you, if you look at it from a the point of view of what archetype is the card supposed to counter, Beast is supposed to counter a very race-centric build. That's going to be mid-range almost invariably, right? Those decks, three damage, not a big deal, right? Like a three damage AoE isn't impacting a mid-range deck all that much. Mid-range needs more damage dealt to it to make an impact. But 
Beasts of Terror doesn't make anywhere near the damage that Hunter's Vengeance does. Hunter's Vengeance has like double the impact of a Beast of Terrors, but the archetype that it's countering can't withstand it. That's my problem with it is if those two cards are meant to counter two different archetypes, one of them does it really poorly. Beasts doesn't really impact the board all that much. And the other one completely dominates it, which seems totally out of whack. And yeah, it is a big deal that uh, if Frontline is not reset, that's a lot of utility and options for the opponent, right? Even if their units are just one or two strength left, like having Frontline is a massive deal. And like, yeah, for something like Rush, right? Even if even if you're putting a lot of damage potentially with Beast of Terror, you're still going to have to devote cards to clearing the leftovers. Hunters, you don't need to. And right. uh, Hunters can also just completely end the Rush dream. Turn one while placing another unit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, bad, we're, we're starting to re- repeat like what we're saying, but we really want to emphasize how completely dominant Hunter's Vengeance really is, right? And I mean, it makes sense to have a card like Hunter's Vengeance in the game. You know, it's a nice, perfect contrast to Beast of Terror. It's just that it's so hard to compare the two. They're so, so different. The utility they give, the mana, the conditions required, they're all so, so, so different. It's hard to vouch for Beast of Terror being near or <laughs> just as strong as Hunter's Vengeance at this state of the game. Oh, it's not. Yeah. No, you touched on a good point, though, Arthas. The control tools do need to be there. The control tools to beat back aggressive decks, if you don't have those, then the whole game just becomes rush, rush, rush. Whoever goes first wins. Uh, and that's not that's not fun or exciting, but at least the games are over fast. That's about the best that I could say there. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I don't think Hunter's Vengeance is a bad design. I think its mana cost to damage dealt is just completely out of whack. And that's where I will leave it in, in terms of my opinion on this. I, I don't know how you guys feel. A little out of whack. A little out of whack. Yeah, I think that's fair. A little out of whack. I don't think it's totally broken. Arthas? If I were to choose a particular balance for it, I wouldn't change the damage. I just up it to three mana. That's all. <laughs> I think that should be enough. Either either decrease the damage by one or increase the mana by one. And then I think it's still a very, very good card. But now it's not an auto include. So that's good. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. No, Go ahead, you, Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. I was going to agree with you. It's it's not an auto-include. It's something you think about as opposed to, well, I'm making something that isn't a rush deck. Let me put Hunter's Vengeance in it. Right. Ideally, in, in, in the best world of worlds, when there's an oppressive amount of rush in the game, you should want to put Hunter's Vengeance in your deck. When there's not a lot of rush in the deck, it shouldn't be in there. But it is right now because it's so cheap and so good. Yeah, even if rush is not common right now based on the uh, archetype frequency, it's still dominating. (laughs) It's such a good card. Why wouldn't you put it in your deck, right? Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that was a very good conversation about where the meta currently is in terms of play rates and uh, some of the cards that are kind of pushing us there. Um, But I don't want to walk away from this until we have a conversation about uh, uh, balance. Do we feel like overall the game is broken now? Or do we feel like overall the game is just maybe a little stale and it's been kind of the same meta now for a few too many months? Yeah, it's definitely starting to get a little stale. And the balance changes that we're seeing in the new cards that we're seeing, they're not doing enough to shake things up, really. Um, the last big balance change that we had uh, was in January, and that did lead to a, a lot of mid-range swarm experimentation, which was fantastic. Uh, but it really does look like it dropped off. And I mean, that was certainly my experience on ladder at this month today. I'm just not seeing as much of that mid-range swarm. And it doesn't really play defense very well. It's it's good at making big units, but it's not good at anything other than broken truce to stop your opponent from doing their game plan. And that's just not enough. Um, but like we said, the control tools with Hunter's Vengeance are so strong. It's really keeping a lot of rush decks down and 
that leads to a lot of control versus mid-range matchups. And I think that's the reason why you're seeing so much ironclad mid-range, because it tends to win that. When you have Rush being pushed down a little bit, you expect to see more mid-range because the mid-range just isn't getting countered by Rush decks the same way that it should be. You're really throwing off the equilibrium of that triangle of Rush beats mid-range, mid-range beats control, control beats Rush. All right, Arthas, give us some parting thoughts on this before we move on. I guess one of the things, um, yeah, I agree that it is stale. Although, you know, sometimes every now and then, which is a nice breath of fresh air, I do see some of the cards that are changed, like Sunbeam, things like Zuri, right? But yeah, it is feeling a bit stale. But I guess it's also because like the February update didn't really have a big card change. Like, yeah, there was a Temple of Guardian change, but like, you know, that's kind of, uh, you can kind of ignore that. It's not enough to shake things. And then the, the, the constant problems that we're facing, like with Ironclad Midrange being too strong, Fortonic, Hunter's Vengeance, they've been strong for months. That's what makes it stale. It's not because um, we're not getting enough balance. It's just we're not getting the right ones. <laughs> At least for those really, really dominant cards. I definitely love the buffs for sure because I am seeing more cards than usual that you know you normally don't see play. And I also love playing them. So I, I absolutely uh, applaud for that. It's just that there are some really pressing concerns up in the Platinum and Diamond uh, Leagues with the very, very dominant cards. So that's all I have to say for that. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I don't know if the new cards are not having an impact yet because people don't have them leveled up, people don't have optimized decks for them, uh, or if it's just because they're more niche-use cards and they're not really going to have a ton of impact on the meta. It's hard to say. Um, I'm looking forward to the new cards coming out, the last four temples that we're supposed to see. Um, I'm looking forward to additional balance changes coming hopefully next month. Uh, I think that would really shake things up. Yeah, I'll I'll remind our listeners that um, there was a planned large change to the game uh, at Feb 1. It didn't happen. The best thing we can say about that now is that um, we're glad that Cheapyard recognizes it needs to happen. Um, We're also glad currently that they chose to get it right rather than get it fast uh but it does need to happen sometime soon to kind of give the game a little bit of a freshen up all right guys uh we're gonna move out of the main topic uh a reminder to our viewers that they will be able to see uh, a link to the meta report uh at the bottom of the podcast description uh uh, from there we're going to talk this week about the card of the week arthas you picked the art the card of the week this week you picked counselor ami we actually have it at three mana. It's a legendary card. Mm-hmm. It is a satyr unit. And um, from levels one to five, you got strengths of two, three, four, five, and six. Uh, Ami also has one speed. So it's just like a regular unit. Pretty nice. And now its effect is very interesting. It says, if played with no bordering enemies, return the copy of this card to your hand. Meaning that you can keep spamming Ami in the same turn. You know, provided that you actually play her away from enemies. So it's really cool in terms of spam, right? For something cheap like three mana. And uh, that, I think, is the design of the card. What do you guys think about it so far? Yeah, Sabaiku, do you lay in bed at night just dreaming of putting Westwind Sailors all over a board? (laughs) The thought never occurred to me, no. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Maybe I could put one more Westwind Sailors. Think about how to counter Hunter's Vengeance, though. You put all sailors everywhere on the board, right? (laughs) That's it. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's got fair stats for the mana. I mean, it's not overly strong, but it's not weak. No, 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 no. And I want to add that you don't actually have to spam the card. It's also really nice to have a basically a guaranteed three mana card in your hand every single turn. You don't have to spam it, right? Yeah, but the problem with that, having a three mana card in my hand every turn, is that it's the same three mana card. And I put a lot of other good cards in my deck usually. Yeah, I'd like to draw those at some point. And and, and Ami can oftentimes interrupt the card cycling when when you play it for value i.e it comes back to your hand you're denying yourself a draw when you do that right yeah you're right but you know in terms of like synergies 
that you can really do it on me. Uh, definitely with satyrs, right? Satyr synergies are pretty obvious. But uh, what's what's cool is that you can spam, right? You can spam Omni. You can play something like uh, Pan Heralds, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe at um, yeah, you can easily put like two Omnis Pan Heralds. Oh, I whoa, oh actually, maybe you can't. Dang, that's ten mana. That's oh, ten. No. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah, problem with any combos is that Omni has to stick on the board. Most of the time, the game is over before I'm playing my third Omni. I, I will say that if you have the quest to play units. Um, challenging the bot and just maxing out the allowable mana and putting Ami in your deck gets you through it really quick. Uh, yes, that's the whole purpose of the card is so that we can bleed the friendly bot. <laughs> you just spam the board. The worst part about it is you spam the board and then you play your own Hunter's Vengeance and it only kills one of them. And you're like, well, that was totally useless. Actually, it could kill two of them, you know, because Hunter's Vengeance hitting a legendary and a satyr potentially. Oh, that's a good point. There you yeah. go. <laughs> two of them. So it's not even great against Hunter's Vengeance because no, you you'll lose six mana worth of value, and your opponent only played two mana to do that. Ugh. Dang. Okay. You know what? I was trying my best to like hype this card. <laughs> it's really yeah, hard. The thing is, it's really it's not a bad card. It's a fine card. It, except for the fact that it denies you draw. And, you know, you talked about trying to combo it with Pan Heralds or stick it in a Seder deck. And the problem is you just, you never get to your combo because you constantly have Ami in your hand. You're, you're, you're drawing one less card a turn than you normally would, unless you specifically play it next to an enemy unit, which at that point, it's no different from Westwind, so why have it in your deck other than it's a satyr and maybe sometimes you get lucky and Fawn Companions hits it? Well, actually, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, if you're playing a mid-range satyr deck and you're wanting to play Westwind Sailors for just a good, solid, reliable three-drop, why not play this instead? With the idea being, yeah, trade with it when you have to. You're a mid-range deck. You do trade. It is... Westwind Plus, you can manage the cycle. A, you don't have to play it. You could just cycle it out of your hand if you don't want it. B, you could play it for trades when it's valuable to do so. And then into the late game, as a mid-range deck, you do want additional value. Maybe that's its one. Oh, I'm talking and so is my cat. So you guys are going <laughs> to... I see. You said you think of it as... Put that in the recording. Oh, yeah. We're keeping all this in. No, no, no. no, Don't put that in the recording. This whole thing stays, including this discussion about whether or not it gets cut. (laughs) No, no. You don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. He has not consented. (laughs) You said Westwind Plus, and... I think it's Westwind minus because when you open the, when you open the game with it, it just, you play it, it comes back into your hand. If the rest of your hand is, you know, Moonlit Airy and Zuri and Bucks or whatever, like, like, great. The rest of my hand is unplayable. I have to play Ami. Either I've already cycled something in order to try to find a better play than Ami, or I have to cycle Ami away after it comes back to my hand and keep the rest of the garbage in my hand. Yes, no, that's that's correct. I, I think the right play, if your hand is heavy and you have Ami in it, the right play is to play Ami, then cycle Ami, or cycle one of the other units. But that's drawing one less card than I would not otherwise draw. That's true, but you have Ami to play again the following turn, which isn't the worst four mana play in the world. Of course it is. No, I'd, I'd much rather play two two mana cards than just drop another three mana card and float oh, a sure. mana. No, 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 I didn't say it was the best through four mana. I said it wasn't the worst. I can come up with worse four mana plays if you want them. Do they all involve floating more than one mana? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's a bit hard because things like shady exist, right? And even something like even something like a raw doppel could potentially be be, be better than uh, uh one army at four mana because it could set up to things like Zuri. It could set up to things like Pan Heralds, way better than army does. So how do we want to fix this? Like before we walk away, because we are about to walk away from this poor counselor Emmy. How do we want to fix it? Do do we think that it's take a quick step back? In theory, faction cards are supposed to be neutral cards plus, right? 
you you want the faction cards to be more playable than the neutral counterparts. Otherwise, everybody just plays all the neutral cards and it looks like we're all playing winter pack. So with that in mind, Sabaiku says this is West Wind minus. How do we turn this into West Wind plus? What do we do? Oh, this is hard. I was thinking, oh, what if there's a UI that pops up? Hey, do you want to cycle this card? Yes, no. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> probably not. An extra cycle would definitely help it out, for sure. I would play it 100%, actually, if it gave you a cycle. Yeah, what if in the... What if um when you play it and it you know stays in your hand, it uh, randomly cycles another card? Oh, what if like, it does that? So it's like a, a first mutineer plus army. Oh, I well, like first mutineer that. discards. Well, I guess. Huh, do you want to discard that? I think that would be even worse than. Yeah, no, mutineer. discard would be bad. Wait, so you want to? You want? Oh no, I know what the gold grubber effect. Replace card. Yes. Rep- oh. I think it should give you a choice to do you want to get Ami back in your hand or draw another card? That would be interesting. I have another idea. And this is regarding the strength, you know, because instead of completely changing the design of the card, let's fix the stats a bit. I was thinking, what if the first Ami that you play is stronger than a Westwood, like seven, right? Mm-hmm. But then every time you play an Ami consecutively, the strength goes down up to like a minimum maybe like uh maybe after the first army the strength can go down up to two times and then the rest after that will stay at that strength you know so that the lower levels don't completely obliterate their army (laughs) right but uh that's something that could be good because then now like a single army is actually worth playing even if you're risking one cycle right something that's better than westwind yes and uh while still retaining its design of spammable right i like it i like that a lot and I was so I was thinking a strength increase would certainly be an easy way to do it, but I like your conditional strength increase better. That that's more fun. Uh, I would consider a mana decrease because at three mana, you know, by the time you get to six mana, you don't really want to play this twice most of the time. Um, if you made it two, it would increase the amount that you could play it. And it would actually make it a worthwhile positive to play multiple copies in a turn as opposed to denying you other cards in your deck and and making it cheaper leans into the design of the card a little bit and makes it more fun honestly i like either of these yeah both of them seem pretty good to me yeah i would say combine them make it cheaper (laughs) give it give it make it a two mana six strength that every time you play another one in the same turn drops one strength oh Potentially, yeah. Two mana, six strength would be kind of lawless hurt plus, right? Because it has movement. Yeah, it has movement. And it has uh, replayability. Because I mean, for six mana, if you could play three counselor armies for six mana, I would do that in a heartbeat. That's a strong That's a strong turn. For six mana, you just put 15 strength on the board? Is that not what a six mana ironclad card can do? 15 strength at max? <laughs> yeah, is, that am is, I wrong? That is, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's perfect. It's totally reasonable, then, yeah. right? It's totally balanced. Yep. If Ironclad can put fifteen in a single unit, uh, and Swarm's identity with like doppelbacks and stuff is, and and, and Dreadfonds is like spread out your stats, then then six five four Ami would be equivalent and and very on brand. Oh, I love this guy. Uh, let's not forget that the value on the board isn't just strength, but also movement, right? You're you're playing three movement, <laughs> three speed oh, instead of one that? speed, right? You yeah. can clear three yeah. units versus one. Yeah, so I think the strength decreasing is pretty cool. All right, yeah. well, we solved that. Sheepyard, yeah. feel free to use that. We don't expect any royalties. <laughs> no, just send a couple of rubies our way. We're totally cool with that too. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's going to end the main portion of this episode, uh, which means it's time for me to remind you to please follow us on Twitter at BroodSages, and you can always email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. But also, we now have an additional way for you to reach out and support us. Uh, uh, after Roman demanded it, uh, we have just added a Gumroad account where you can become patrons of our work. Uh, you can find it on our Stormbound Kitty page. You can also find it. Uh, it will be an additional link at the bottom of this podcast description. We don't want to make too big of a deal out of it um, uh, because that's not why we're doing this. Uh, and I just want to make sure that that's out there. 
we'd like to cover some of our costs and expenses and, and gosh, you know, maybe one day pay back our, our microphone purchases. <laughs> but in general, uh, if you feel compelled to uh, support us, we f- I, I, the level of gratitude that we uh, are capable as human beings of conveying back to you is inadequate. Uh, we would be very, very appreciative. Um, there are three tiers, the top tier being uh, salty podcasts. So clearly that's going to be a $7 a month patronization subscription. And uh, we have a $5 a month at uh, podcast Raiders. And then the three mana runner would be uh, first mutineers. So our $3 a month is called podcast mutineers. Uh, feel free uh, to go look at it if for no other reason than to laugh and then leave the page. That's totally cool too. Um, but anyway, aside from that, we did hear back from some of our listeners. Uh, this week, we did hear from Law one who just listened to episode three on our YouTube channel and said, I'm kind of late, but this is great. <laughs> Soup, thank you so much for listening in the first place. And please, Go through the whole library. That's why we've got it out there so that uh, people who find us uh, can uh, stumble upon it and say, wow, I want to start from the beginning. So so go through it all. Feel free to be uh, critical where we're bad. And, and if you hear anything else you like, let us know. Uh, and then we've been also tasked, guys, with one of the hardest questions I think will ever be asked by MKM this week. He says, hi, gentlemen. And first off, MKM, be careful who you're calling gentlemen. <clears throat> Uh, But hi, gentlemen from the Brood Sages. My question for each of you individually is, which episode of the Brood Sages do you like the most and why? I'm curious to hear the answers. And lastly, keep up the amazing work and keep delivering high quality entertainment for every stormy out there. Okay, I will start with Sabaiku. Sabaiku, what is your favorite episode of the Brood Sages and why? I'm going to go with episode 18, Hocus Focus. Uh, we had a great community news segment talking about the tournaments and we Mm -hmm. followed that up with a great interview that Arthas did with tournament winter with tournament winner Grimm. Oh yeah. That was a lot of fun to listen to. Um, being a little biased as one of the people who makes the podcast, that wasn't something that I was privy to before, uh, Arthas recorded it. So it was a nice surprise for me to hear it too. And I got to re- react to it as opposed to make it. So I think that was uh, one of the reasons why I've, I really like this one. And then I think we had uh, Grim had great analysis. And I think that we had a really strong analysis section talking about the new card Temple of Focus, um, talking about Arthas's, uh testing of it. Uh, I think one of the the most informative and analytically bent episodes we've had, but still very interesting. Okay. All right. And Arthas, how about Can you? I go last? Can you go last? Oh no. Wait, you're going to put me on the spot. All right. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, mine was uh nerf November rain of frogs. And the reason why hey, uh, you picked mine. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe ask me instead. <laughs> This is you never want to go last because everybody always. <laughs> Dang um, it. Uh, okay, I will let you then take Nerf November Rain of Frogs and I'll try to figure out a new one. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that for such a beautiful, amazingly well put episode, I think it warrants both of us praising it. It does. It does. Go ahead. You you start you start with your praise and I, I will heap on some additional. I mean, me for sure. It was definitely the Halloween special at the I end. Know. It was just too much fun. It was like, like, oh man, I really wish that the community, that the sh- Sheepyard does more of something like this. I know that they do like those social media posts that do something similar, but it's like amazing to like come up with those really cool Halloween themed ideas, like uh, which is which which card art would be really nice for uh pumpkin carving or which card would be the villain in a serial killer movie, right? It's really, really interesting to see and hear all of our silliness and really weird reasonings for things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sabaiku had us uh, uh, on the spot, right? Like, we neither of us knew what the questions were going to be ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And it was just so funny. Uh, uh, the questions came out of left field. Sometimes, like, you thought you knew where they were going, and then right at the last minute, like, so he would intro the question with like this background and then suddenly 
the actual question is like, right, like you said, who's who would be the best villain in a, in a horror movie? Like, wait, what? And so then you're just stuck. Oh, I had so much fun doing that episode. I laughed so much. I mean, granted, we laugh at a lot of these episodes because they're a lot of fun to do. Um, but uh, that one, for, for me especially, because I tend to be the the sort of the, the central host who who kind of acts as the traffic cop, I gave up complete control so that Sabaiku could take the reins. And it was just so much fun to to be kind of out there floating. Going, I have no idea what's going to happen next. This yeah, is it seems, it seems a common theme of their favorite episodes is when the hosts don't know what the other host is doing. <laughs> Wait, every I like that I picked the most analytical episode and you guys picked the most fun episode. And that right there in a nutshell is why this podcast is such a mess every week. <laughs> Hey, we got the so full true. dynamic, right? We got the whole, we got all the character tropes right here. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one other episode that I was forced, because I'm sure MKM was hoping to hear about three, uh, I would love to plug uh, the um, two episodes back to back, valuing your tempo and tempoing out some value. Those two episodes, episode 11 and 12. Um, where we had a really in-depth conversation about the theory of tempo versus value in card games. I thought those were some of the better episodes in terms of how do we help our listeners perform at a higher level and play the game to their maximum ability. I thought those were probably our two best episodes for teaching our listeners how to be a step above where they currently are. So I'll give a shout out to those uh, two, especially uh, the first one had the meta report in it too. So I'm always kind of a little biased towards that. Cause that's kind of my baby, <laughs> but there you go. MKM. Uh, I'm sure you listened to those, but if you uh, need a refresher, always feel to feel, feel free to go back. Uh, they're all available. You can find them all at our homepage, stormbound kitty.com. And with that, you can always catch us on Discord. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, for Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages, reminding you to please stay hydrated. <laughs>